My name is Stuart Mazell. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, it's great to have all of you here. And those of you who are joining us online, thank you for, for being here, um, whether pers in person or watching online. Uh, today we are doing a series, we're starting a series on joy. And uh, I just a little bit of background. First of all, uh, I think it was in March and April, I did a series called Overflow, and the very last one of those sermons was on overflowing with joy, and uh, I encourage you, if you, there's some of the things I'm going to say today, you may go, so well, wait a second, I thought that probably is covered in that sermon from back in April, I think it's April the 10th, so if you could go online to uh, YouTube, you can find that sermon, or you can get it on a podcast or Podbean or Apple, iTunes. You can find it on any of those things. Um, I encourage you to listen to it just because it will help you with some of the foundational things that I don't want to preach the whole sermon again, and you don't want to hear the whole sermon again, at least two sermons in a row today. So today we're going to dive in to uh, this series, but knowing that that sermon was sort of a, a prequel to what we're doing today. Of all places, we're going to the book of Ecclesiastes to talk about joy. And so we've got three passages from that book. Um, again, Ecclesiastes is a, is a strange book in many ways. Back in 2015, I preached through Ecclesiastes, and uh, I know that there are many people who have a view of Ecclesiastes that it is not a book about joy at all, I disagree. And I find that there is lots in the book of Ecclesiastes that encourages us towards joy. And I hope that you see that in these passages today from Ecclesiastes 2, Ecclesiastes 3, and Ecclesiastes 5. So this is God's word from Ecclesiastes. And we read this. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat? Or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And then from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions 
and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Let's pray. Father, I know I want to understand joy more. And not just understand it, but experience it, to know it in my very core of my being. And that it wouldn't just be something that is down deep, but never shows up on my face, but something that just overflows in me. And I know I don't want just that for me, I want that for your people. I want that for this church, that we would be people who recognize this gift of joy that you give freely and generously. And as we start this series, as we hear this message today, Holy Spirit, would you give us what we need? I know we all come at different, from, from different uh, vantage points today. Some of us are already on cloud nine. Some of us are in the depths of despair and everybody in between. Lord, meet us where we are. Give us ears to hear what we need to hear so that we will look to you as our ultimate source of joy and that we would overflow with joy as we grow closer to you. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So I've got a question for you that I would really like for you to consider. How would you describe Christians? Just in general, Christians. I know if I ask some people that question, what I would get are words like this. Critical, judgmental, narrow-minded, angry, self-righteous. If I asked other people who maybe are a little bit more uh, favorable to uh, Christians, I might get answers like generous, loving, caring, prayerful, faithful. But what words would you use to describe Christians? As I've thought about that question myself, I can honestly say that at times I've used all of the words I just spoke, both the positive and the negative, in describing Christians. But you know the one word that I have never used, as far as I know, about talking about Christians in general. And in fact, I rarely, if ever, hear anyone else say this about Christians in general. You know what that one word is? Joyful. That's not to say that there aren't joyful Christians out there. There are. But for some reason, joy is not a major category for how the world around us sees us, nor how we see ourselves. Think about the last time 
you heard, wow, that Westminster Presbyterian Church, they are a joyful group. And not just Westminster, any church. When was the last time you heard? That's a joyful group of people. It, we don't hear it very often. It's not a word that we usually typically use to describe ourselves. And, and I have to ask the question, why not? Aren't we the people who have the good news of great joy in Jesus? Right? Aren't we the people who hear this from our master Jesus, the one who died for us and rose from the dead for us, from John 15, when he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Aren't we the recipients of those words? And aren't we the people who we hear in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that we are to rejoice always, to have joy always? You know, in um, Who Put Jesus on the Cross by A.W. Tozer, he writes, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in the world, wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. Let me ask you, when was the last time someone came up to you and said, why are you so joyful? Why are you so happy? What is it in your life that makes you overflow with joy? Now, this is a sermon series about joy, not about guilt. All right, so I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I'm just trying to set the stage for how we are to think about if we are to be joyful people and yet we're not experiencing that joy, there is a disconnect and we need to figure out what that disconnect is. Right? And so it's sort of like, I want you to think about this sermon series, at least today, about like going to the doctor. I don't know nobody really wants to go to the doctor per se, but you go to the doctor and you say, hey, I'm having this problem. And the doctor does some blood tests and he figures some stuff out. And then the doctor says to you, hey, I got some bad news. You've got a disease. And if you don't treat this disease, this is what's going to happen. But the good news is this disease is completely treatable. And if you follow this line of treatment, your prognosis is not just good, it is excellent. You will get over this disease. That's the way we need to think about this sermon series on joy, that there is a disease of lack of joy in our lives and we want to go to Dr. Jesus and hear what the treatment is and be cured. All right, so that's the journey we're going to take over the next several weeks. So the question that I have for us today is, if we are to be joyful people, but we're not, or at least we're not as joyful as we think we ought to be based on what we see in Scripture, where does joy come from? What is the source of joy? Because if we know where the source of joy is, then we can start to begin to get that treatment in us and start moving towards a more joyful life.
And, and here's, here's the big picture point for today. This is the main point for today. Joy is a gift from God. Okay? You want to know the source of joy? Joy is a gift from God. And that's what we see in these passages in Ecclesiastes. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, the author writes, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. In other words, enjoying what you eat, enjoying what you drink, and enjoying your work, the things that you have to do, that is from the hand of God. That is a gift from God. Verse 25, for apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And then we see in Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 13, some similar sentiments. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. To be joyful, to enjoy what you eat and drink and the work that you do, it is God's gift. And then we see a, a similar statement in a Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil. Now one thing I want you to take away from all of this, from these three passages, every one of us should go somewhere and eat and drink today and enjoy it. Okay, that's one of the, that's one of the uh, takeaways from this sermon. So we're to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and, <clears throat> and possessions and power to enjoy them. Notice that statement. Verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them. You know, there's lots of people who have wealth and possessions, but they don't enjoy them. They don't enjoy anything. But that in of itself is part of the gift of God that he gives to us. So, and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he, the person, will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Wouldn't it be great if we were all occupied with joy in our hearts? You know, when I was, um, I think I maybe was about nine or ten or something like that, it was Christmas time. And my sister walks into our house with this box, and it's wrapped up, and she puts it down in front of me, and she says, you, you need to open this right now. I'm like, okay. So I rip open 
the, the paper and I take the top off the box and a puppy jumps out. Now, I wish that I had this picture. My mom has it, and if I could have been home, I would have shown you this picture. I mean, there is a look of sheer joy on my face as they took that picture, because they knew what was happening. They knew it was coming, so they had the cameras ready. And the dog jumps out, and I just have this look of exquisite joy. I mean, you can't look at my face and go, that's not a joyful person. Now, that joy only lasted for a short period of time, because, you know, taking care of a dog involves some unmentionables. But that moment was a moment of sheer joy. But what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is that it wasn't just the puppy that brought joy. It was God who brought joy. Right? That my sister gave me the puppy, but God gave me the ability to be able to experience the joy of that moment. Right? So everything that we have, that we enjoy, that we find joy in, it is a gift from God. Think about the hymn that we sang at the very beginning of the service. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. There's a particular line in there I want to bring your attention to. We're, we're talking to God and it says, Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. These, this, this passage is saying that God is a wellspring of the joy of living. You know what a wellspring is? A, a wellspring is the source of continuous supply. We're usually talking about water. Like, for example, think about Egypt. Egypt is mainly desert, except for the Nile, right? The Nile River cuts through Egypt, and that's where lots of people gather. Lots of people are around, and you see there's desert everywhere, but right there is the river, and that is the wellspring of water in Egypt. That's why so many people live along the Nile. If the Nile was ever to dry up, Egypt would be in a bad way, right? I want you to hear this good news. God is the wellspring of every experience of joy we have. You want a wellspring of joy? God is it. God is the wellspring of every experience of joy we have. No matter what that joy may be, it comes from God. Because I'm Presbyterian and I like to study, um, I, I've been doing a lot of work on, uh, on joy recently. And one of the things that I, I invested in is checking out the Yale Center for Faith and Cultures project called The Theology of Joy and the Good Life. I, I, that's a long title. Yale Center for Faith and Cultures, Theology of Joy and the Good Life. Now, these are scholars, Christian scholars, they're psychologists and psychiatrists and um, economic people and just all kinds of people that they bring together and they start asking, what is joy? And, and, and coming from different disciplines. There's a lot of verbiage in this. 
I mean, whenever you get a bunch of scholars together and say, okay, tell us about something, it's kind of hard to get to the point sometimes. But I want to show you what one thing that I gathered from that one thing I gleaned from it is that they said, hey, you know, when we talk about the word joy, there are at least four different expressions of that or four different ways we experience joy. The first is joy as an emotion. Joy as emotion. It's an emotional response to something. Like when I opened that box and the puppy jumped out. There was a moment of, of joy, right? But that, that moment didn't last a long time. It just lasted for the moment. That's what we mean when we say joy as emotion. It's an emotional response. But there's also joy as mood. Joy as mood. You know, um, people who... It's more than just a moment, but it's like a period of time. You know, like you're in a good mood. You're in an up mood. Uh, scientists at uh, Temple University and the University of Utah published a study in the Journal of Environmental Psychology. Again, you got to wonder where I get this stuff, right? Which found that people whose homes are decorated at Christmas time are happier than people who don't, right? Now, you might go, well, what does that have to do with anything? There's a mood during Christmas time, right? Now, not all of us experience it. Some of us during Christmas time, we get in a bad mood. We're little Scrooges. But there, there are others of us that we get really good moods just from walking into someone's house and seeing a Christmas tree and lights and all this kind of stuff, and we have a mood that lasts for longer than just a period of time. It lasts for a, a longer period of time, not just for the moment, right? So joy as a mood. But then there's also joy as a trait. This is like a disposition. You know people who always seem to be happy no matter what happens? And it doesn't matter whether they're Christian or not. It's just, it's just their, their personality. They got a bubbly personality. They're always up. You know, I, I forgive the reference, but I, I think of um, Buddy the Elf from uh, the movie Elf. If you've ever seen that where Will Ferrell plays Buddy the Elf, uh, that's what I think of. Like he's just effervescent, you know, with joy all the time right? That's a trait. That's a disposition. But then there's also joy as spiritual fruit, right? This isn't just an emotion. This isn't an emotional response. This isn't just a mood. This isn't just a trait or your personality. This is the work of God in a very specific way where you could be you know, a curmudgeon, and yet you find joy because God supernaturally does something in your life to cause you to have an overflow of joy, all right? So those are the four different ways. Now, why am I going to all this effort to talk about this? Because every one of those has as its source God. Do you hear me? Every one of those. Joy as emotion, when that puppy came out of that uh, box, who made the puppy, right? And who gave me the ability to have that emotional response in the first place? It was God. God is the sovereign over all things, including my experience of joy on that Christmas morning. 
Joy is mood. Who gives the circumstances and the situations that cause us to have a good mood, an up mood? Is it not God? Is he not sovereign over all things? Joy as trait, you can say, well, see, I got you on that one, Stuart. Mm, See, that comes from my DNA. That comes from my upbringing. That comes from the people that are around me. Well, who gave you your DNA? Who gave you your parents? Who gave you the people that you hang around with that help you to have that personality? It's God. God is sovereign over all of that. And obviously God is sovereign over the spiritual fruit of joy. See, God is the wellspring of joy. And if we want joy in our lives, we have to start there. As uh, Jonathan Edwards, someone that we often think of as the guy who wrote that sermon about, you know, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? That's, that's what many of us know about Jonathan Edwards. And we think of someone who is angry and upset and say, God is holding you over the pit of hell like a spider on a web, and he could cut that thread any moment and you would fall into hell. That's the way we think of Jonathan Edwards. But you know what? Jonathan Edwards wrote about joy more than he wrote about hell. And here's something that he says in a sermon from December 1740. He says this. They, talking about Christians, have a fountain, a fountain of infinite good for their comfort, for their contentment, for their joy. For God has given himself to them to be their portion, and he is a God of infinite glory. There is glory in him to engage their contemplation forever and ever without being satiated. I don't know of anything that can keep my attention forever. I don't know anything that can keep my attention for usually longer than a few minutes. That can satisfy me forever. That's outrageous to me. And yet that is who our God is He is so full of goodness, so full of wonder, so full of beauty, so full of joy that I can ponder him forever and never get down to the bottom and find an ever-increasing joy in him. That's our God. And so the greatest and most lasting joy is the fruit of the Spirit coming from our relationship with God through Christ. Please hear this. The greatest and most lasting joy is the fruit of the Spirit coming from our relationship with God through Christ. Look, most of us, the reason we don't have joy is we're trying to find joy in things that don't satisfy. They don't bring ultimate joy. They bring joy for the moment, but then we don't bring it back to God, and so we lose interest. We lose enthusiasm. We lose our joy. 
But when we start with God and end with God and find all of our enjoyment coming back to God, then we have joy that is great and lasting. Now we're going to come back to uh, Galatians, Lord willing, Galatians 5 next week, but I do want to just give you a little preview today. Uh, Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul says that the works of the flesh, and when he says that, what he's talking about is anything that we're doing where we're like, we're stiff arming God, where we're saying, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to do this my way. I don't need God right now. I got this. All right. Anytime we're doing that, that's the work of the flesh. It comes from just who we are apart from God. And he says, the works of the flesh are evident. And it's not a pretty picture. What comes from us when we're trying to do things apart from God? Listen to what he says. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Basically what Paul is saying there is, look, if those things characterize your life, that's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom belongs to people who don't do those kinds of things. But that's what we all do when we try to do it on our own, when we try to say, I got this, God, I don't need you. But, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and also peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so when we're relying on the Spirit for joy, that's when we can see the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something I do. It's something the Spirit does in me as I rely on Him. And that joy comes from the Spirit reminding us of our relationship with God in Christ. Look, I've been thinking about this this week. Have you ever had someone that you've wronged in some way? Like, you, you know, maybe you hurt them. You sinned against them. You did something that really hurt them badly. And you knew you needed to go and ask forgiveness. You knew you needed to go and say, I'm sorry. But you were full of shame. You were afraid of what they might do. You were afraid they were going to get angry and yell at you. I had this situation uh, several years ago where... There was someone that I, I had wronged, and I went to them, and I confessed what I had done. I asked for their forgiveness, and then I waited. And my heart was beating like, boom, 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 boom. I'm just like, I am so scared of what is going to come out of this man's mouth next. And he said, and this isn't an exact, this isn't an exact quote, but it's the gist. He said, Stuart, I forgive you. It's in the past. Let's forget it. You know what happened in that moment? Joy. 
I couldn't contain myself because I was expecting the hammer to come down. I was expecting judgment. And what I got was, it's, it's done. I forgive you. I care about you. I love you. We're good. That is what God says to everyone who looks to Jesus because Jesus took our sin upon himself at the cross. And he rose from the dead to say, here is my life, here is my joy. Take it, it's yours. You're forgiven. It's in the past, it's done. Let's think about where we're going from here. That's the good news. The good news of great joy that we have in Jesus. And because of that, we can have great joy. We can overflow with joy as we think about the right things. I, I know you, you may not have heard this name, but uh, there's a guy named Octavius Winslow. He was a pastor in the 1800s, and he knew his share of heartaches. I've been reading about him recently. At an early age, he suffered a life-threatening illness. Um, one of his nurses almost killed him by giving him too much medicine. Um, his father died when he was seven. And they had just moved from England to America. And so his mom just went into this severe depression. And so he, along with his siblings, had to take up the slack and do whatever work they could to make sure that they, their family made it because the mom wasn't able to really do anything. And then when he got older and he married and had children of his own, um, he saw three of his own children die. One was a 20-year-old son who drowned. And then two died in the exact same year. One was only two years old and one was a newborn. A man like that has every reason to say, look, God, I've served you, I've loved you, I'm a pastor, and yet look at the mess of my life. Why are you doing this to me? He would seem to have every right to be bitter, not joyful, angry, not happy, right? With all of the circumstances of his life, and yet this is what he writes in the book, The Sympathy of Christ, in 1862, after all these things have happened, he says this, the religion of Christ is the religion of joy. Christ came to take away our sins, to roll off our curse, to unbind our chains, to open our prison house, to cancel our debt, in a word, to give us the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Is not this joy where we can find a joy so real, so deep, so pure, so lasting? There is every element of joy, deep, ecstatic, satisfying, sanctifying joy in the gospel of Christ. The question is, do we believe that? 
Octavius obviously did. Do we believe that? If our lives aren't characterized by joy, and we know that God is the source of joy, that Christ is the ultimate source of joy, He is a wellspring of joy for us, and there's that disconnect, and we're going, why is it that I'm not experiencing joy? Let me ask you a question. Why wouldn't we go to God and say, I want joy. I need joy. There's a disconnect in me, and I need you to fix this. I need you to enter in and find out why it is that I'm not experiencing joy. I need your joy. Will you, in your fatherly wisdom, give it to me? And your fatherly care, give it to me. Think about yourselves as that kid growing up around Christmas time. And you got, for me, it was the Sears and Roebuck um, catalog. We got that, and I started going through and picking out all the toys I wanted for Christmas. And I wrote a list, and I gave it to my parents. Here's my Christmas list. Here's what I would really like for Christmas. Now, did I get everything on the list? No. My parents were poor, and they couldn't afford to get me everything I wanted. But I tell you what, they got me a lot more than they should have, if I'm looking back on it as an adult. They gave and gave and gave. And if that's the way my parents gave to a simple request for a toy that's here today and gone tomorrow, believe me, for my toys, that was the case. I was the one, did you ever see Toy Story where the kids like destroying all the toys? That was me as a kid. Okay? They were here for a moment and gone. When we go to God and we ask for joy, will he not give us? We have his promise on that actually from Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You need joy in your life? You're missing out on joy? You're not finding the joy of your salvation just exuding from you? Then here's what we all need to do. And this is your action point. Pray for joy. Pray. God says he wants you to have it. God says he wants you to rejoice always. Jesus says he wants his joy to be in you so that your joy may be full. So if we're not experiencing it, why wouldn't we take our Christmas list and say, God, for Christmas this year, I want joy. I want joy in you. I want to find the joy that your scriptures tell me about. I want to experience it. I want to know it. And I want to know it the right way. Not in some fake joy way. The way that you mean for me to experience joy. Does that seem too simple? Look, when we go to our Father 
who knows how to give good gifts to his children. He will give. He will give. It might not be right away. It might take some time. If you're like me, you've had 50 years, for me, I've had 50 years of practicing being unjoyful. All right? 50 years of, of wallowing in my own melancholy. All right? I don't want to wallow in melancholy anymore. I want to know the promise of joy that God says he will give as we know Jesus, as the fruit of his spirit. And I want that joy. I want to be that person that A.W. Tozer talks about, that someone comes to me and says, Stuart, I've seen a change in you. You used to be this way, but now you seem much happier. Why? And I get to say, let me tell you about the wellspring of joy in Jesus and how he's changed my whole life. Don't you want that? Don't you want that in your own life? If so, I ask you to join me in praying for joy. And as we pray, let's believe. Let's believe that as we ask our Heavenly Father for the good gift of joy, He will give generously. Let me pray for us that this will happen. Lord Jesus, um, you've promised that you want your joy to be in us and our joy to be full. So, very simply, by your Spirit, will you produce joy in us. Even in hard circumstances. Even in the bad times. That we can find real joy in you that we can eat and drink and find enjoyment in our toil because of you, that we can overflow with joy even when it doesn't seem like we should have joy because of you. Do that in me. Do that in these folks. Do that in your church that people really would notice that the joy of our Lord really is our strength. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.